Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey, while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Amazing. Welcome, everybody, to episode 28 of the Great Birth Rebellion. B is back after my solo effort. I did not enjoy being by myself. I missed not being here. It's been a little bit hackers on both our worlds, so um, yay, we're back together. Let's okay. dive into this today. And I did. I'm so excited about this episode. This episode, <laughs> I think, will be one of the most important episodes we ever record. People have been asking for it. And actually, yeah. I should mention that I told everyone it was going to be big babies, small babies this week. And it's, uh, I know, guys, I'm sorry. We're still. Tricked you. Tricked you. Tricked you. <laughs> tricked you. We delayed it two weeks already. But do you know what's good about that is um, the Cochrane database of systematic reviews just yesterday dropped another an updated paper on large babies and induction and shoulder dystocia. So it was kind of good that that we... The universe needed us to wait so we could just explore that. That's epic. I'm excited to dive into that episode too. But today is really important. And there was a part of me that was like, we should interview our partners for this because so many men uh, have messaged me and been like, can Mr. Core and Floor like do something that's a bit more straight to the point? Um, Because for those that don't know, I have free antenatal classes and he featured in those. And I made those classes Basically, I was thinking about partners and specifically male partners when I made those classes because when COVID hit, male um, partners were all that people were going to be able to have with them as support people. Um, But I also made them with partners in mind because as a midwife, I really see that partners are the most important people in the room. And like, you know, whilst the person birthing is doing all the physical work, really the partner is the the person that that person birthing knows more than anyone else right and birth is all about safety safety in terms of what the five senses take into the four brains and i'm going to talk about that in a little bit and unpack what that means because people are like what four brains mm-hmm. but you you know your partner longer than anyone else in that room, even if you've had continuity of care um, and nobody loves you in that room like your partner does mm-hmm. um, and you don't love anyone else in that room more than you do your partner. And so the partner is the ultimate safety but the most important useful person because so often I hear from partners, I didn't feel useful right um and I didn't know what to do um and so today is all about going through what you can do because you are actually the most useful person in the room without you even knowing it and you're the most important person because you are her safety so I'm just so excited about this but yeah if you haven't checked out the free internet classes get on it but so many people are like can you just write like a checklist or can you just get Mr Core and Floor to do a video because then it'll just be straight to the point um and I was thinking about it today imagine if we'd interviewed Dan and Mick uh maybe people would be like people listening like yes do that um and interview we should them. actually get them to do a podcast episode to just draw on all the information they've been soaking up over the years about midwifery because uh, Dan often jokes, my I don't have a name for him. His name is Dan, um, and 
he's often jokes of like, I reckon I could probably go to a birth. I reckon if you couldn't do it, I reckon I could do it now after all these years. So maybe they could do a podcast episode. Mick was always like, I want to be a doula, especially when I was pregnant because, you know, we met in Darwin and within the first couple of months of us going out, he had all my birth videos and I went around there one day and him and his housemates were watching Orgasmic Birth and um, the business of being born. They'd watched all these movies. So Mick always joked that he was an honorary midwife and then when I was pregnant, he was like, I want to be a doula. And then halfway through my labour, he was like, babe, you know how I said I wanted to be a doula? I don't want to do that anymore. And I was like, oh, you have to do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Like this has to happen, but um, we're not getting to the point, and this is what they want. They want okay. straight to the point, <laughs> straight to the point. So, well, today's episode, let's let's bring it back. Today's episode is about how to be an amazing support person in labor. And this is if you are a partner of a woman having a baby, or you've been invited into the space. If you're a friend, sister, brother, mother. Uh, even doulas and midwives are going to really benefit from hearing this information about how to be an amazing birth support person. And so B and I have each independently written a list of what we think is important for a support person to do in the birth space. So we're just going to like take turns at hitting our points. I'm sure there's some crossover. But I'm sure we need three hours because I, I might oh, just like I've got to put do this. I was just brushing my teeth and I was like, oh, don't forget about those points. So well, I've you got go five. first, Mel, because I feel like once I start, I'm not going to stop. I don't really have a point. I have a big, large essay. Okay, great. Okay, you give your you give your practical tips. Go on. You give your practical tips, and then I'll I... explain what I need to explain. All right. Should I give all of my tips in one go, or do you? Yeah. No, you go for it. You okay, all tips. of them? Okay. Yeah. You know me. I'm just like, this is the point. That's the end of yeah. the discussion. All right. Good. Okay, point one. To be a great support person, you need to genuinely believe that she can do it. And if you don't believe that she can do it, just act like you do or do the work before the actual labour to get on board with her belief system. So an example of this I've seen is a woman who I spoke to who was planning a VBAC. Her partner absolutely did not believe that she could have a vaginal birth and made that known to her. And then when she did have a vaginal birth, she was so proud of herself but knew that she couldn't lean on her partner for support because he actually genuinely didn't believe that she was going to be able to have a vaginal birth. She did. So just the fact if if you believe that she can do it, then you're going to act that way in the birth space and support her in her birth choices. And so that's the big thing about believing is that if you believe she can do what she set out to do, then whatever choices she's made, you're on board. So that's the important thing is being on board with whatever the woman, your person that you love is keen to do. And you've been invited into that birth space exactly like you said, B, because you are loved by the woman and you love her. And so, you know, I kind of talk to people as well about, you know, if your partner's sick, if your friend is sick, if your daughter's sick, you know, if someone's sick, you know how to look after them, you know, you know, tuck them into bed, give them some water, make sure they've got tissues, make sure they've taken their vitamins sort out the stuff in the rest of the house, be there for whatever they need, drive them around if they need, you know, someone to look after them. So, you know, we know how to look after each other. 
when you love them. That's point one. Believe that she can do it. Point two. So this, these are super practical tips, actually. And when mm-hmm. I look down your list, B, I, I know yours are like way more broad and like amazing. Well, mine are all about your belief systems and your imprints because like, and which goes back to what you're saying, you've got to believe in them. To believe in someone, you've got to understand what sits behind your beliefs, right? And you've also got to understand the process. And that's what I see that most people don't they don't understand labor and birth properly and they don't they don't know how to support that so you know I'm really talking about physiology but also our conditioning which is broad so I love the practical stuff so keep going with the practical tips love it they're really important okay so next one pay attention to her words so when women are in labor they we actually don't really have a great capacity for telling people what we need so any words that come out of a laboring woman's mouth are super super important she's worked a lot of effort (laughs) a lot of effort to get out she's it's probably the biggest thing she's been thinking about during labor and has been the only thing she's been able to get out of her mouth so I mean for me as a midwife anytime a woman says words in labor I'm like what were the words hold on to every single one of them that's what's important to her right now, act according to what she's just said. So if she says something, firstly, it's super important. Don't disregard those words. Don't ignore them. Don't try and like, you know, talk her around like, no, no, no. Can I give an example here? Yes. So my second labor, we were like 55 minutes in and Mick came into the bathroom and I knew I was about to birth my baby and the only words I could get out was call an ambulance because in my head I'd been like, you're going to birth a baby, the midwives aren't here, no one's here, we don't have any equipment, call the ambulance. So I said to my husband, call the ambulance. And he went, yeah, yeah. He turned around and walked away. He missed the birth of his second baby because he was in the kitchen. And when I spoke to him afterwards, I said, what was that about? And he said, I thought you were talking labor smack, right? I thought you were saying call an ambulance because you wanted an epidural. And so that was that sheer failure <laughs> to listen to the words because the definition of call an ambulance actually meant I'm about to birth this baby. And I even think I probably said that. I said the baby's coming, call an ambulance. Um, but you know, he interpreted that. He wasn't listening with full listening ears. And this is what we do. We often listen to fix rather than listen to hear. And so we're not super connected and aware. So really, as you said, listening to every single word and trying to interpret what's going on in as a whole situation. And yeah. so he walked away and he missed the birth of his second child. And then when my girlfriend said, there's a head, he ran back and he was like, what? How did that just happen? And I was like, what do you mean how did that just happen? I just told you that was going to happen. Biggest so, question is, did you call an ambulance? No, we didn't call an ambulance. No, he went out and made Vegemite toast. No ambulance was needed uh, because we just birthed epically. And my son and I, we just totally smashed it with my girlfriend standing there. But that's, I feel like that's a perfect example, right? Like you have to listen to actually what they're saying. And often when they say things like, I can't do this, the definition of it isn't that they can't actually do it. The definition of it is I need help. And so it's almost like we probably need a cheat sheet of the things that people say in labor and what it can actually mean. Because often when they're doubting themselves, that is the pinnacle point of labor emotionally remembering that labor is very much an emotional process 
just as it is a physical one, if not more, I would say labor is much more an emotional process than it is a physical one, that, you know, that is the pinnacle part of that where what they actually need is support. So really understanding those words aren't often the direct translation of what she is saying. Look at the whole picture. But I think too, listening to the words and then that directs your action. So Mm -hmm. if if you firstly believe in her, if she says, I really don't want an epidural, right? If beforehand you're planning and she says, I really don't want an epidural. And then during the birth, she's like, oh my gosh, it's so big. I can't do it anymore. I think I need an epidural. If you followed step one, where you believe that she can do it and that you're on board with her plan, when she says, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. I need an epidural. You're hearing, I need more support. This is really, really big. And then your belief in her can translate into, "I, you can do this, babe. I've got you. I'm right here. Let's do one at a time, right? So the, it just, the woman's words just can direct what you need to do next. And what I want to say to this is that, I know I told you I'd let you talk. That was never going to happen. What I want to say to this is this is where birth mapping is crucial, that you birth map as a couple beforehand so that you are fully aware of what she wants and her beliefs in herself and what is important for her so that then you can interpret the words. Because typically with birth planning, it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's almost dreaming up the birth you want and it doesn't take into consideration all the other things that can happen. And I think with a birth plan, people often just write what they they want and then when what they don't want happens they don't have they're, they're trying to make decisions around it in birth and labor and birth is not a decision making time the decision making time needs to come beforehand and this is where as a partner or birth support person you have to be involved in it and you have to be fully across it it's the game plan right think of it as a game plan the coach or the players don't go into playing a grand final without going through their whole game plan together and that is what birth needs that's the that's the definition definition of a birth map it's really looking at the things you don't want to happen and when you'd be willing for them to mm-hmm. so if you haven't listened to our birth mapping episode get on that Catherine bell has amazing resources around birth mapping i've got the book and the game in my shop she sells this incredible game that makes it really fun and makes you actually get in the headspace of this does have birth has to be prepared for in today's modern maternity setting you can't plan for it but you have to prepare for it and these discussions are essential and they also guide you back to step one which is to believe to believe because you've actually done the work to have that belief inside of you yeah totally and this also plays into so in terms of paying attention to words even when things are going really really well you know when a woman says oh you know just basic things like drink pass her a drink or I need to go to the toilet help her up to go to the toilet. She's not saying, I need to go to the toilet. And you're like, okay, cool. That's nice. It's when she says, I need to go to the toilet. That means you've got to help her up and take her to the toilet and sit with her at the toilet and hold her hand and help her do this and that and that. So it's like, we're kind of incapable of doing anything else other than have a baby when we're in labor. And so we want to be incapable because we want to be in the zone. And if you're having to do other things and you're having to care for yourself and think for yourself in a prefrontal cortex way, then that brings you out of the labor zone. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But it is, there's a danger zone and a labor zone and you want to keep her in the labor zone, which the labor zone is 
complete safety. This is a really practical tip. Actually, it's probably my most practical tip that goes along with that is please don't ask her questions. Don't ask her questions. Don't ask her questions. So when she says, I need to go to the toilet, you don't say, do you want me to come with you? Do you want me to help you? You can say, I'm going to come with you if you don't want me in there, because there are people that won't want you in there. Just tell me to get out. Right. And this is where we hold no offense and no emotions around the words that she gets out. Don't take offense to anything she says because she is working hard to get those words from brain to mouth. Mm -hmm. But don't ask a laboring person questions ever. This really, this is you, midwives and doctors, especially. You don't say, do you want a heat pack? You say, here's a heat pack. If you don't want it, put it to the side. Here's a drink. If you don't want it, don't drink it. Because when you ask a person a question, you take her out of the labor brain, which is that deep middle part of the brain that's in control of our feelings and our behaviors, right? Because labor is very much a feeling and behavior process. It's not a thinking process. And then it puts us into the thinking brain, right? So the way I like to explain this is you're busy at work and you're right in the depths of something and you're coming up with epic stuff and you're in that work zone and then someone comes up and says, hey, do you want to have lunch? Do you want like a turkey sandwich or do you want a beef sandwich or a vegan sandwich? I'm trying to cater to all the needs here. Um, and, and you're like, oh, I just missed my point. Now I don't know what I was saying, right? Or now I don't know. And I'm out of that work zone. That is crucial in labor. Never ask a laboring person a question. Just offer. Yeah. Offer everything. If she doesn't want it, she won't take it and you haven't disturbed her right? It doesn't have to be all this question based. I just think about how many questions poor laboring women get asked. And yes. So they should, it's, it's an intervention, really. Yeah. Think of a question as an intervention. You are disturbing the process. Yeah. So a woman shouldn't have to think and make decisions in labor. So, you know, even the basic level of, I need to get out of the pool so I can go to the toilet, you know, don't go, oh, where do you want to step out, babe? No, just you're coming out at this side, I've put a towel down. Like, you know, that kind of thing. The other thing when words are really, really important is if, so this is particularly for women who are in hospital and maybe need to be advocating themselves, advocating for themselves a little bit more than if you were at home or at a birth centre or if you had your own midwife. If, If the woman who you're supporting says, no, I don't want that, well, that's like, that's the answer. Right. So if you're thinking about, for example, I'm thinking about a recent example where I I was in hospital with a client and the doctor said, I, I might need to do an episiotomy. And the woman said, no, no, absolutely don't want an episiotomy. So she'd already made her desires very, very clear. And then the doctor again, about five minutes later, like, oh, I think I might need to do an, an episiotomy. And the woman again said, no, don't do that. And then in the absolute peak of things, when the baby was actually emerging, the doctor said again, I I think I need to do an episiotomy. And I looked at the doctor and I said, she has said no twice to an episiotomy. You absolutely cannot do an episiotomy. And she said, oh, but she might tear. I was like, she knows that. She said, no, we've already talked about it. You can't do one. And so in the absence of somebody like me sitting there and advocating, if the woman has already said no to something, you know that the next time that that thing gets brought up or offered or if there's pressure put on to the woman about saying yes to that when she's already said no, you know that it's time. Like you could say the simplest thing of she's already said no to that. 
And that's you advocating. So if you pay, if you're paying attention to her words and the woman has already said, no, I don't want that, you've already got the answer. And so don't leave it to her to keep defending herself or advocating for herself. Now you know it's time for you to step in. And when I do birthday briefs, this is one of the biggest things that comes up is people saying no and not being heard, mm. which is assault when it's our body. And you really have to think about that. The person birthing, whilst it is an incredibly powerful event, it's an incredibly vulnerable event that can leave them with a lot of emotional trauma, even if everybody's well. And there is a lot that it takes to say no in the system as a person in a vulnerable state birthing. It also takes a lot to say no as the person's advocate. And what I often hear when I do debriefs, especially with, you know, partners, they will say, I didn't know what to do, Mm. right? Because it can feel incredibly vulnerable for the partner. You've got someone here who you love more than anyone else in the world who is doing all this work for your family to have a baby, but you're also in the system. And this is where, you know, this is where a lot of my theory of this advice comes into it. I think you really have to understand and look at what my gorgeous colleague, Lael, calls our imprints or our belief systems. What do you believe about the system? And how do you respond and behave in the hierarchy? Because what I typically see play out is internally your gut instinct is telling you, she's saying, no, I need to advocate for her. But your good boy brain or your good girl brain that you've deemed deeply conditioned to step into when there is authority figures around, and that is the hospital system. Doctors and midwives are the authority. And most people's belief system is birth is a scary event where women and babies die all the time and it has to be in hospital in order for it to be safe. And the doctors and the midwives are the experts. Doctors and midwives are typically experts of the system and physiological birth rarely happens in the system. What most people are wanting when they go into birth is a physiological birth. Not all people, and I just want to acknowledge that because not all people want that. But what often happens in our birth, especially the first birth or the first birth you attend, is all this conditioning is at its peak and it plays out. And so when I do a birthday brief, people say, I really needed my partner to advocate for me more. And the partner will say, I just didn't know what to do. I felt like they were the experts and they knew what to do. And while she wasn't liking it, it was something that had to be done. Otherwise, people were going to die. So Mel and I have done episodes around this, around physiological birth. But my biggest thing to prepare people as support people is look at your story. What do you actually believe about birth, right? What were the stories you were told about birth growing up? Most people now enter their first birth and they don't even have experience of babies or children. And we see that those couples that are like, okay, now we've got the child. How do we change a nappy? How do we feed it? What do we do with it? We've really removed babies and children from our culture. And we typically, especially considering we're giving birth later and later, we can live a good 20 years without having children in our lives. And then we go bang straight back into it. 
birth has been removed completely. And so most births that people attend, the first birth, that's the first birth for them ever. Mm-hmm. So you got to think about what do you believe around birth? And most of what your belief system will be shaped upon is what you've seen in movies, which is waters break, huffing and puffing, screaming, purple pushing. So holding the breath, pushing down, legs up in stirrups, wheelchairs, doctors controlling the situation. Now, Mel and I know that birth can look like that and it often does, but that's not physiological birth and that's not what it's designed to look like. So the best thing you can do as a support person is look at your story. What do you actually believe? What do you believe about birth? What do you believe about the hospital system? And how do you respond in those situations? Because knowing if you're a good boy or not is going to tell you how much work you need to do in being your partner's advocate. Mm -hmm. Because if you are someone that is just a yes sir, no sir, then that's going to be tricky for you when she says no to say, ah, no, and you might want to practice this. This is a really cool thing to do to connect with your partner. Role play, Mm -hmm. right? role play the situations. But I think it's easy for us to say, yeah, you have to advocate. The reality is it's actually incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard for midwives. And the power and the ego and the hierarchy and the good girl, all of this plays out. And so really understanding that she is the boss of her body and she is going to remember her birth experience to the day she dies. We forget about her. She doesn't forget about her birth. Right. And this and- is the sexiest thing in a birth space. The best thing in a birth space that, that I see and that I love witnessing is support people and partners stepping up for the birthing woman. Because, and if, and you know, you were saying before, partners are sort of like, oh, I don't know. I didn't know what to do. If you're ever confused about what to do next, Always take the side of the birthing woman. You're there as her support person. You don't have an allegiance to the care providers or anything. And even if you're not sure, oh, my gosh, is this a dangerous decision, that actually doesn't matter because if she says it, if the birthing woman says it, she's right. Okay. And this is a big part around trusting your gut because, and this is where, so we have four brains or, you know, people talk about three brains, but I like to say that our, that our womb space or our our genitals have a brain as well. So we do, and this is scientific, right? Like there is actually spaces and there's a lot of work done in this. The the head brain, there is a head brain, there is a heart brain, there is a gut brain, and there is a genitals brain. And um, if, all of them have to be saying yes for it to be a yes. And if one of them is saying maybe, then it's a no. And this comes back to how we are as humans, right? We are the only species, we're species atypical. We're the only species that creates an environment that's actually harmful to us. And we're the only animal in the whole animal kingdom that ignores our instincts based on fear. So I like to put it back to there's a zebra eating grass and it hears the lion and it goes, whoo. There's a lion there. I don't want to hurt its feelings, though. I don't want to run away and make that lion think I don't like it. So I'm just going to stay here and eat the grass. A lion, a zebra doesn't do that. The zebra gets the hell out of a dangerous situation. Don't be the zebra that doesn't run away in a birth, right? If take anything away from this, don't be the zebra that doesn't run. Yeah. Listen to your gut. Because this is where people hold the trauma. They go, oh, I knew I said it should have said no. 
right? No one turns around from their birth and goes, I am so glad I made that doctor or midwife happy. I'm so glad I did what, you know, they were telling me to do, even though it didn't feel right. So you've got to look at birth is not the end point. It is the start point to your family. And every birth is a new start point to your new family. How do you want your family to move into its new life together? And really understanding that that's what you're working towards. And hopefully that will bring you back to what is my gut saying? Mm -hmm. What is my heart saying? What do I need to do in this moment? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, and that's my point two of paying attention to her words. words. But at a, on a micro level of just the basics of like, I'm thirsty, that equals I want to drink. Um, but if she says no, you got to listen and you'll never, ever regret being on the side of the birthing woman. No one right. ever regrets being heard. No. It's all we actually want in life, right? So to yeah. actually be heard. Yeah. Um, so that's point two. Point three, super practical, words of affirmation. So little things like have, if you need to, and I've had clients do this, make a list of words or phrases they would love to hear during labour. Little things of you can do this, you're doing amazing of course, you know, when a woman says, oh, oh, this is really hard, you can do it, babe. Mate, you can do it. Like it's just, and this ties all the way back to point one of just believing that they can do it. And in when women are in labour, there's it's a total mental game. In our minds, we're going, oh, my gosh, that's a big one. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, on the other shoulder, it's like, no, Mel, you can do this. You prepared for this. Your body can do it. Oh, my gosh, but it's so big. Are you sure? Yes, absolutely sure you can do it, Mel. It's like the the devil and angel on your shoulder all the way through labour. That's what's happening in our heads mentally. So if you can, as a support person, speak into that as a positive influence, that could be the thing that turns around a woman's mindset and mental capacity to keep going. And, you know, just little things like you're strong enough for this, your body can do it. You know, this is why people put affirmation cards up in their birth spaces and just words that can remind them of their capability. What you never want to say to a laboring woman is maybe you should get an epidural. Maybe do you think you want to have some pain relief? Because what that says is, I don't believe that you're capable of this and I think you need something to stop the pain because you're not coping and it's so deflating. And women, even if they are coping, at that point realise their support team doesn't believe in them and then they feel like they don't have support and maybe they do need pain relief because they don't have anybody on their side. So never, ever, ever, even as a midwife, suggest maybe you should the amount of midwives that just hand gas over right and they just hand it like like people when people say me I didn't even want it and they just handed it to me it's so everywhere I've practiced I've walked into the room being like why she got gas I just gave it to her why because what that says as a midwife is where you're at right and it's the same with a partner whoever offers pain relief, whether it's a midwife, doctor or partner, that is that says more about where you're at than when the labor where the laboring person is at. What that says is, I don't believe in 
um, that she can do this. And I also don't understand physiological labor, right? Because the pain is the greatest power. Um, really understanding pain, and I did an f- episode with Rhea Dempsey on this, you need to understand pain and why it is there and that it is not pathophysiological. So again, this comes back to what do we believe? What do we believe about birth? Most uh, society, you know, there's this whole don't be a hero, love, get an epidural. Well, birth is your body working at its peak performance and so if an athlete is running a marathon and at the 35 kilometer mark someone their coach yells out to them don't worry about running the last 10 kilometers you've done enough how about you have a lay down that would never happen we believe in our athletes we coach them we cheer them on and and if you're offering drugs that's your belief system And that is from your lack of understanding of why that pain is there, because the pain is the greatest power and we have to create safety so that the pain isn't as intense and we have management tools to help them work through it. But the pain comes because the body is working at its peak performance. The uterus is contracting, the uterus is a muscle. So just like when we hold a wall squat, and we feel that deep burn in our thighs and our glutes, that is because the body is working hard, right? Pathophysiological pain comes from when the body is experiencing injury. So when we've got a tooth pulled, when we've broken a bone, when we've cut ourselves, that is the body going, oh, something needs to be fixed and fixing it. Birth doesn't need to be fixed. That pain is meant to be there. And it feels very different. And I'm not taking it away here. It does hurt. It does hurt, right? For most people, some people don't experience it as it, hurt, as it hurts, but it is the body contracting, a muscle contracting. It is not something that needs to be fixed or taken away. And what we see is when that pain gets taken away, then more things are needed and it, and it disrupts the process because the brain the uterus talks to the brain, the brain talks to the uterus. It's in constant communication. Once you take the pain away, you break that cycle. And now the body and the brain are no longer connected. Yeah, but you were able, like support people are able to talk into the mental game of that because you all want to tap out of the discomfort of labour. If Unless we're reminded, like, this pain is important. Let's do this together. So little things are doing it. The biggest thing when they say, I can't do it, you are doing it. You are doing this and you are doing it beautifully. You have to think of yourself as the coach. You have to think of the laboring person saying, I can't do that as like three-quarter time where they don't want to go back on right? And they're having that hissy fear of, I can't do this. Yes, you can. You are doing it. You are so capable, right? It's like a marathon, you know, there's checkpoints and, you know, you have. Yeah, but a marathon you can get out. I hate that analogy because I've run marathons. You can get out of a marathon. You can't get out of, well, I mean. I know, but it's like. You can have an epidural. Yeah, but it's like the checkpoints, right? Like if you get to a checkpoint and they go, oh, this is really getting hard now. Why don't mm. we just go home? Or this is mm. really, get, you know, you don't get to a checkpoint and your support team, you know, your support team goes, oh, maybe we should just, maybe we should just, yeah, tap out. No, no, your support team goes, look, you're at the pointy end. Gather your energy. Let's keep going. One more. We're going to be along. We're going to run alongside you. Gosh, if we need you, if we need to, you know, little things like let's do one more. Let's do one more. It's okay. I can help you. That's the di- instead of saying maybe we should have an epidural, try and say, 
I really think you can do this. You've got this energy. But a lot of people I debrief with were like, I didn't feel like I need it, needed it. I just had it because the doctors told me I needed it. So many doctors will say, I think you need this epidural, right? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, the other thing that I hate more than anything, she's getting really tired. Oh she's probably gosh. not going to be able to do this. And laboring person never needs to hear that they're tired. No, they're not. not. Unless they've spoken it, right? And if they are and they speak it, then what do they need? They need that encouragement. Oh. It's just, it's the medical system, right? You've got to remember that the person birthing is in a medical system that is used to taking away pain. The whole rest of the hospital is geared towards taking away pain, but they're taking away pathophysiological pain. They're also used to people in a weak and vulnerable state that is sickness. The vulnerability of birth is not sickness. The vulnerability of birth is meant to be there because birth is a transformation and you don't transform from something unless you hit the bottom and then you get to come back up. And that's why the vulnerability is there in labor. It is turning that person into a parent or a mother, right? That woman into a mother, person into a parent. It is, it has to transform them. So they have to feel the vulnerability in order to then feel the power. Just remember that when you're giving affirmations, they want to know that they're worthy. They want to feel cared for. They want to feel supported. There is, if there is any day in our life that we should feel like the absolute queen, where we should feel like we don't have to people please, we don't have to care about anyone else, we don't have to do things that people are telling us to do, and we can believe in ourselves. That's your birth, right? Mm. That's the day you give birth. That day you are meant to be lifted and supported and nourished and held up until you reach your highest power and you claim it. Mm. I need to, I I know, I know, I need to get back to birth. I saw my husband the other day was like, babe, do you need to get back to birth? I was like, I need to get back to birth because it's just, it is, there is nothing that compares to birth in our life. And so many people get robbed of it. And as a support person, it is your job to ensure she's not getting robbed. So you are constantly scanning that environment. You are constantly scanning her and the environment. What does she need? And a big part of this involves you actually understanding who she is as a person. So when I do birth prep chats with people, the biggest thing I'm diving into is Who are you and what do you need to feel safe? Because most of us have themes that we play out like people don't care about me. I'm not good enough. I have to people please in order to feel safe, right? And it's understanding who you actually are. And this is what comes back into those affirmations. Affirmations are great. And those stock standard ones, if you are doing this, are so important and often all you and all you need. But in terms of keeping labor emotionally safe, this is the work I do is really diving into who you are and what you need to stay in safety, right? And what all your experiences are. Because I think we see birth as this isolated event. Birth is all our stories, right? We go into our birth with our whole life experience. And what often comes out in our birth are our wounds and our, you know, birth really highlights the connection you have to yourself, to your brain, to your heart, to your body. 
than to your environment. And so understanding who you are and how you react in those kind of spaces and then understanding what you need, right? And so some people will have a story of I don't feel supported, right? And so it's like, right, what do you need to feel supported? And some people will be like, I need my partner to never leave the room or if he is going to leave the room to tell me why he's doing it Mm. or I need someone to touch me all the time or I don't need someone to touch me but I just need their absolute presence and energy mobile phones don't belong in the birth space that's my next point you're gonna my thunder sorry (laughs) that presence right it's that total connection Mm. and presence she needs you a hundred percent there so really looking at who you are and what you need to feel safe so thinking about yourself in a vulnerable setting and what you need to feel cared for supported and believed in right and some of that will be words but some of that will also be actions and being really vulnerable and honest with our partners which we're often not we often in our most intimate relationships live in a very superficial layer um, and we keep ourselves safe and we protect ourselves well what happens when that protection goes what happens when you can't keep yourself safe anymore what do you need to now have safety Mm. that and you need to know that about your partner and if you don't birth is a beautiful piece a a beautiful offering to get more connected with each other Mm. and yes and so you've highlighted you're already moving into my very my last point and then all be we've only got like 25 minutes to talk about yours sorry (laughs) Um, mine I've already talked about you're like I've already slotted them in to every one of your points (laughs) I've already ruined your time to only just have your chat it's okay it's okay so okay this was my um my last point well kind of my last two points is staying completely present as you said so part of that is not looking at your phone don't have your phone on put it on silent, don't let it light up in the space, don't let it ding with message tones or anything like that. This is the most important time to disconnect from that and connect into what's happening in front of you with the person who's giving birth. And part of being present, so it'll be different for everyone. You know, when when I was in labour, and before I was in labor, I spoke to my husband about like, don't do like tickly soft touches. Hate those. I like a good solid hand on me. So firm massage, firm hand holding, firm anything. If your hand's on my head, put it on my head. Don't rub my head. Don't tickle things. Like that's just how I like to be touched. He knows that from other parts of our lives. So, but some people love that. Some people love a light touch, little tickle. I knew what I did not want. You got distracted by thinking about having sex with Dan. Oh, my gosh. I was just like, I know. I was so interesting to watch that. You were like, oh I'm thinking about having sex with my yeah. partner right now. <laughs> yeah, anyway, B just watched me look off into the distance as I was like. Yeah. <sighs> so here's what I, what I mean. Present, fully present. So not only do we need the sort of the social support the 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 emotional support of believing we need the mental support of the words of affirmation yep you can do this we need the support and advocacy to have someone on our side like you are on my team we also need the physical support so actual the physical bodily presence of you in the birth space if your woman is in labor or if you're a friend and you're supporting or a doula or a midwife or anything if that if you are the absolute 
biggest thing in that woman's life and you've been invited into her birth space to provide support. Physically being there. So holding her hand, hand on her shoulder. If she says, oh, my back hurts, she's not just telling you her back hurts for fun. Put your hands on her back, deep massage, you know, offer a heat pack, do something. Her back hurts, right? This is your opportunity to be physically present. And in my free antenatal classes, there's lots of practical tips of how you do hip squeezes and shaking the apples. And so if you haven't watched those, please do. They're free and they're really practical tips on actually what you can do because you need a tool belt, right? You want to go into the birth with a tool belt of what you can do and, right, I'll do this now. And then I'll do that. And it just be, if you do something and then that's not working, don't just discard it because often it'll work later on in different stages. So you kind of have these tools that you continuously rotate through and keep using to support her. So words, touch, massage, um, music, like you're constantly doing things. Like you are the project manager really of that birth and the project is to keep her safe. And so really understanding that the body feels you know, it's constantly getting messages through all the senses. So sight, smell, touch, hearing, taste, all of those kind of senses are filtering into the body and then the body deciphers whether it feels safe or not. Mm, totally. And, even you know, little things, it's like those tiny little things, like, you know, when part of it's like, oh, I don't know, what should I do? Just go and stand there and hold her hand or give her a cuddle, give her a kiss and just whisper into her ear of like, you're doing amazing. A hug and you're doing amazing or you look so beautiful right now. Little things, mate, that just makes you feel a million dollars even if you're not in labour. If someone came up to you, held your hand. I need a podcast on how to connect with our partners. It's true. And just walked up to you. Imagine if I was in the kitchen cooking dinner and my partner walked up, held my hand and said, I just think you're doing an amazing job. How good do you feel for the rest of the day? He's getting sex that night for sure. With a good firm hand. Um, With a good firm hand. Sure, in the kitchen and in the bedroom. And in the bedroom. And so, you know, what makes people feel good? Tell them they're doing an amazing job. Tell them they've got this. Tell them absolutely they can do a hard thing. So this is all about bolstering up the person who's in labour to help them get through a hard thing. And so... Be afraid of connecting with them and don't be afraid of connecting with them in a foreign environment because that can feel hard. We often go into an environment that you've never been in before, like a hospital system, and this is why we bang on so much about calming the senses because your brain typically does not feel safe in a foreign environment and it doesn't feel safe in a clinical environment, right? Because we typically, our body interprets that, especially if we've been in a hospital before, we've had procedures before, as this isn't safe. Um, But connection, true connection with people we love always brings us back into safety. And so it can be harder to do when there's strangers around and you're not in your safe spot. But just remember connection, connection, connection. How can I connect with her to make her or them to make them feel safe? And a really easy way is to just be close to them. And so if you've walked into a hospital room and the woman's there on the bed or in the bath or in the corner and you're on a chair in the other side of the room on your phone, you've completely disconnected from her journey and you're not being supportive. If you think to yourself, okay, if you don't know what to do and you think, oh, my gosh, what do I do right now? Pull a chair up right close to her and just put your hand on her. And you could say something simple as I'm here. And that's just like a big breath out of like, okay, 
he's with me or they're with me. I've, I've got someone here with me. Those, they're, they're my points, B. My next point is ties beautifully into what you've just been talking about, orgasm, right? Ooh, tell me. And so you, my biggest, my biggest point that I want you to have, if you've just come to this podcast because your partner's been like, oh, this is the episode for you, you need to listen to it, you don't just need to listen to this podcast. You need to know your shit. You need to know how birth works. You also need to know how the system works because there's two different things playing out here. There's birth and the system. You need to know both of them. You also need to understand, so I want to explain how birth works for a second. Physiologically, birth plays out for us the same as orgasm does, okay? So it's the same hormones and the same part of the body and, you know, the clitoris is actually highly involved in birth. People don't know this yet. We think the clitoris is only for pleasure. It's not. I've done a lot of education around this. as a webinar you can buy to go into it, but I want to give you this analogy and this is a reel that I have had planned since May last year, right? So I've had it planned for 10 months. I just had to wait till Mr. Cor and Flora and I were having epic sex again in <laughs> order to convince him to do it with me. So hopefully we'll either film it today or I'll film it next week. But I want you to imagine that you are having sex with your partner in a hospital room, right? And then a stranger walks in and they take your pulse and they say, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Don't mind me. And they take your pulse and they take your blood pressure and then they walk out again. And then they come in and, and you like, you know, you turn off the lights and you get back to being intimate, right? And then they walk in, they don't even knock, they don't introduce themselves and they come back and they say, hmm, you're not really penetrating deep enough or fast enough there, right? We need you to penetrate faster and harder. How do you think that's going to feel, right? Do you think you're going to be like, yes, I can do this. I can penetrate faster and harder. Do you think, you know, that safety is going to be there for you to orgasm, right? And then they come in and they go, we're just going to watch you for a bit. We're just going to watch. Don't mind us. We're just here. Keep doing your thing, right? Are you going to ejaculate? Probably not. And then if we turn around and we say, you know, it's a good thing we were here because the sperm was just too big and your penis was too small. That is what we've done to births, right? Birth is an orgasmic event. It's the same hormones. In order to have an orgasm, you need to feel safe. In order for your body to physiologically perform an orgasm, it has to feel safe in every sense of that word. So much of what we do in birth takes people out of the labor zone or the orgasmic zone and puts them into a danger zone, right? The danger zone is adrenaline. The danger zone is the, is the contraction slowing down, the body and the baby no longer talking to each other. And then what we do is we've blamed babies and we've blamed bodies, right? And we say, oh, you know, the baby got stuck or the baby was cheeky and it wasn't in a good position or, you know, she just failed to progress, and often it's all the things that have led up to her not feeling safe. Sometimes, yes, a very small percent of people, there will be something playing out that needs beautiful intervention to help them. I'm not anti-all intervention, but most of what we are seeing in our mothers and babies reports is a hell of a lot of intervention that isn't necessary. Death is not what we're scared about anymore in Australia around birth. Australia is a very safe place to give birth. What we're actually scared about is the emotional trauma. 
And that often comes from unnecessary interventions, right? What we're actually scared about is the fact that it makes no sense that one in three people need to give birth via cesarean. Women's bodies are incredibly capable and babies are incredibly resilient, but we have generated a huge fear around it. We've also taken out a deep understanding of what is playing out. Birth is a deeply chemical process, just like orgasm is. And those chemicals aren't released and, and if the body doesn't think that it's safe to. So I want you to think about orgasm. The same way babies are physiologically conceived is the same way babies are physiologically born. It's the same environment that needs to happen. We talk about, oh, it's all really hippie to turn the lights off and light candles. It's completely scientific to do that. What we are doing is we are playing into the science of the body the physiology, right? So physiology just simply means the body performing a task that it's meant to do. Birth is physiological, just like weaning, pooing, breathing, orgasm. They're all things that our bodies have been designed to do. They're functions of the body. Yes, sometimes we have difficulty with orgasm. Yes, sometimes we have difficulty with pooing. We get constipated, we get hemorrhoids. Yes, things do come up. But typically it's what's going on around us that affects that, right? Stresses physical and emotional stresses. So really want you to think about danger zone, labor zone. What can I do to bring her back into the labor zone? What can I do to make her feel safe so that she can have that oxytocin flowing through, right? So oxytocin is the same hormone we release when we have an orgasm. The highest dose of it we ever get in our lives is where we give birth to our baby and our placenta physiologically. The baby coming out is not the end of the birth. The placenta coming out is the end of the birth. The baby coming out is not the time to start calling people. Um, They will know your child has been born. They don't need to know straight away. Wait until the birth is complete. Yeah. So brains is something you can hold on to. I just want to say this isn't the end, right? There is so much that Mel and I have done out there. Get onto it. Keep educating yourself. Like we've covered a lot of these in most of what we do in other episodes as well. But brains is something that you can have to run through when you think, I don't know what to do here, right? That's The doctors are telling us that we need to do this. She's saying she doesn't want it. I don't know what feels safe. I don't know if it's a full body, yes or not. Brain stands for B is for benefits. So you say, what are the benefits here? What are the risks, right? So if someone says, okay, we need to do an epidural and an episiotomy. All right, what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What is my instinct saying? And that's about connecting to your gut. What has to happen now? And can we please have some space? So B-R-A-I-N-S. The space is, can we actually have some space to when we're not feeling vulnerable and under the pressure to um, say yes to the hierarchy to actually go, is this right for us? Is this what we need? Is and what happens if you do nothing? Oh, yeah, nothing, yeah. I think it is. You're right. Brains, I said yeah. now. No, but yeah. it can be so like what, what has to happen now and what happens if we do nothing. nothing. I think, yeah. So yeah. it's what has to ha- what actually has to happen now, right? So if they're coming in saying we need to do a vaginal examination, right? What are the benefits of the vaginal examination? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? Well, the alternatives are we don't do one. What's my instinct saying? Well, my instinct saying she's doing a beautiful job progressing. Why does someone need to stick their fingers inside her vagina? There's nothing wrong here. She can just keep going. What has to happen now? What happens if we do nothing? Well, probably nothing. We'll probably just get a bit more pressure. Can we have some space to decide, right? Mm-hmm. So write brains down, write what it stands for now or nothing, and then um, 
looking at and bringing that in at every time there is a decision that is forced upon you to be made. Mm. So in quick summary, you want to give that, Mel? Yeah, let's do a summary. What did we just talk about? So number one, believe she can do it. Pay attention to her words and support whatever she's just said. And sometimes you've got to read into what, what she just said. So I'm thirsty isn't just information. It's get me a drink. Words of affirmation always offer encouragement so that she's been mentally bolstered. Physically stay present. As B said, the BRAINS acronym, if you're sitting there trying to make a decision together, always take the side of the birthing woman. Uh, so as B was saying, don't tap into the good boy, good girl, good support person role. A If you're there, your sole focus is on advocating for the desires of the woman who's giving birth. Yeah, and- saying no is allowed. Most people think they, most people say, I didn't even know I could say no. There is no one coming to pick you up to take you to a naughty boy or naughty girl's home if you say no. And this is typically what's playing out for us. It's our, it's our childhood wounds, right? That you can say no. Hospital is not a prison. It is her body. It's your babies, your baby or babies. It's your choice. She can say no to anything. And if she's not listened to, that's assault. Mm. Can I also suggest for support people is aggression and being impolite never gets you anywhere either. So if you're advocating, just using some really almost emotionless words like she's already said no or she doesn't want that, uh, not yelling, not being aggressive towards staff because they will remove you and that's a big problem. (laughs) Yeah, there probably is a naughty boy's home. I didn't really think about that. Um, Anger never anger never belongs in the birth space and that goes for midwives or doctors or anyone you think about anger anger will put her in the danger zone it won't keep her in the labor zone so aggression you really need to work on on that if it is there for you um and aggression normally happens because of lack of expression so it's often you haven't said anything haven't said anything haven't said anything bang you say something so really getting onto it so the other points is what's a definition of a healthy baby and a healthy mother or parent what um is your belief system around the hospital system and birth do you understand it and if you don't get onto it understand what pain is trust pain understand orgasm and birth and the link and what is there to keep her safe um and yeah, keep listening to our other potties that we go into it. But just yeah. just know you are capable and know what you need to look after you. Like take some change of clothes in, take food in, nourish yourself. But all I really want to say here is you are capable too. Just mm-hmm. as she is capable of birthing, you are capable of supporting her. Believe in yourself. You are the most useful person in that room. Come into your power, own it, do the birth together. It is a team sport. Boom. That's, my That's amazing. All right. Now you all know how to support a birthing woman, whether or not you're a partner, a friend, a mother, a doula, a midwife. These are the fundamentals of being an epic support person. Thanks for being with us today, guys. We'll see you next week in the next episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. 
You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> All right.